Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is speaking, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. 
that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. A month ago, we looked at two passages in the Gospels wherein the Father publicly declared his love for the Son. At Jesus' baptism, the Father said in the hearing of everyone, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And again on the Mount of Transfiguration, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. First, Jesus was baptized in water and the Holy Spirit, and his Father's delight in him was announced to everyone. Then he was baptized in glory, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became radiant with the glory that was his before the foundation of the world. And his Father declared his undimming joy in his Son, and commanded that we listen to him. For all authority everywhere, in heaven and on earth, is given to the Son. The Son of God has been given authority to represent the Father perfectly and to glorify him. And the pinnacle, the tip-top of the praise of God is the praise of the glory of, of God's grace in the crucifixion of his Son for sinners. God himself was humbled to buy back and to have wicked and straying sinners as his own sons and daughters. The main point of today's passage is the Father and the Father's extravagant love for and delight in his children, who are you and me. Today's passage is about the prodigious love of the Father for his children, the prodigal love. This morning I looked up prodigious. It means remarkably or impressively great in extent, size, or degree. It has been used to mean unnatural or abnormal. In today's scripture, the Father's love is truly prodigal. It is extravagant. The Father's reckless, extravagant love for this child is far greater than the child's reckless and extravagant living. Let's look again at today's passage, first at the younger son, then at the father, and then at the older son. Verse 11. Okay. Um, the man who we know represents our heavenly father in the parable had two sons. And we're going to find that we are one or the other. And there's no other option. There are only two choices here. The younger son said to the father, I wish you were dead so that I could inherit the money that's going to belong to me. That's what he was saying. That's, that's unthinkable. 
And the father divided his property between the two sons and sent the younger son off. Not many days later, right away, the son took off. He gathered all he had, probably turned his, the property and things into cash, and he left, and he went far away into a far country. And there he wasted it recklessly. He squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, that country had a famine. It was symbolic of what that son already had. He had left everything he had behind, and he had nothing but money. He was a great lover of money, and he trusted in his possessions for happiness and for security. And he left his father. And when he had nothing, he recognized his need. So he got a job, and it was the worst of all possible jobs in that country. To a Jew, there were things that were despicable and things that were abominable. And he had been trained since his youth that you don't touch these unclean animals, you don't eat them, you don't go into a Gentile's house, and you never touch or eat a pig. And his job is to be the servant of the pigs. He is reduced to utter poverty. And he's not even a very worthy servant of the pigs. He's not even allowed to eat their food. Have you ever fed pigs? I have. These pigs were eating pods of corn, I suppose, or something like it. Um, we used to feed the pigs slop at a summer camp I worked at. And you could smell the pigs from hundreds of yards away. It seemed like even if the wind was blowing in the other direction, you could smell them. It was so bad. There was just this sour odor, and they wallowed in mud mixed with their food and rooted through it and, 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 and kind of snorted it up on their backs and, and rolled in it. And, and this son is longing to be fed with their food. This isn't good food, and he, he can't even get it. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he remembered his father's love. You see, he knew his father's love long before he left. His father's love for him was great and had been great from his youth. He knew exactly who his, father's, who his father was. Look, look at this boy's life choices. They're terrible. Think about how great his sin was. It wasn't just in a private, you know, sit-down meeting with his dad that he said, Dad, you know, I want to go on a trip. I want to, I want to spend something. I want to go on a senior trip. You know, can I have some money? He, he was saying a statement that all the neighbors knew about. You know, the whole town knew that this son was making a public statement. I wish you were dead so that I could have your money. This is a sin of a magnitude that we have to think hard about just to get our minds around it. And the father doesn't 
have him put to death. There's this command in the Old Testament where it says if you're if your son is rebellious and rebellious and rebellious and rebellious all his days, take him to the elders and, and he would be judged by them. And his father lets him go. Surely he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked son. The scripture says, be sons of your heavenly father because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked So the son comes to himself. He remembers who his father is and he begins to desire his father above the riches and the pleasures of this life and the respect of society. He says, I will get up and I will go to my father and he plans out his rehearsed speech. And he probably meditated on this speech many times showing that he did not understand his father very well. He knew something about his father, but he, he fully expected, I think, his father to receive him back as like a slave that you know, had come there just to work for him and just earn some bread and then go out and live in the barn or live in a shack or whatever on the corner of the property. This is what he expected of his father, how wrong he was. As soon as he gets to, as soon as he uh, be, gets a long ways off from his father, his father saw him coming. The son isn't there yet. The father saw the son coming, and he took off running. What an undignified thing for a dignified, well-dressed, proper man to do. He took off running, and that's the sense of this passage. I'm not reading into this. He ran to him. Again, the whole town knew about this. This is a public declaration, not just of the father's great delight in this son. It's, a, it's become very public and scandalous that this father would so waste his reputation on such a wicked boy. I don't think people talked well about this father after this. I think they would, would have made lots of snide and sarcastic comments and thought of themselves as, well, I wouldn't have done that if I were him. His father embraced him, and he, and he kissed him. And, he, and the son began to recite his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I can just see the son not even looking at his dad's face because he thinks that his dad is going to be mostly displeased with him, and he's hoping you'll receive him back. But the father ignores the son's request to be given, to be awarded the status of a servant or an employee or a slave, and he quickly begins to give orders to his servants, and he says, bring quickly the best robe. Does this remind you of the passage we discussed a couple of months ago in Zechariah chapter 3? where this high priest representing all of us in Zechariah 3 was clothed in filthy garments. Do you think this young man was covered in mud and like sour, curdled, rotten, disgusting things and possibly even his own filth? In Zechariah 3, we see that high priest who represents us as does this son covered in filth from head to foot. 
and this messenger of God, who we discovered was none other than the Lord Jesus himself, says to, gives command to remove the filthy garments from him. And we saw how the clean vestments, the righteous clothing that covered up his shameful nakedness and his shameful filth, his sin, was the very clothes of God. That's what's happening here. The gospel is the same in the Old Testament and the New. And this father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. What's that? Is it not a signet ring? Is it not the family ring by which they sealed documents? The ring that had the father's, the name of the father's family? He's giving this son authority to do business and make financial transactions on his behalf again. Are you kidding me? If anybody in town heard about it, and everybody did, like the next day, if that, probably, I mean, hours later or minutes later, people would have come running to the party. They would have been appalled at this father's extravagant recklessness with what remained of his finances. Aren't you, aren't you concerned the son's going to do it again? It doesn't seem that that's on the father's heart. It doesn't seem like that's on his radar. But really think about it. This is his dad. He knows what his son is capable of, doesn't he? His father knows that he might do this again. And what does he do? Nothing differently. He pours out his love and honor and gives his son uh, uh, his righteousness. He reclothes him and he gives him authority and grace and he puts shoes on his feet. If you're walking around barefoot, you're, pretty soon you're going to come up to a store that says no shirt, no shoes, no service. And you're not going to be welcome in, right? People don't generally, like if I, if I were standing up here barefoot, you would think that's a little weird and undignified. And because it's Grace Christian Fellowship, you pr I probably wouldn't even get any more than a couple of comments. <laughs> but in a lot of places... Um, you would be asked to leave because that's inappropriate. Well, this son is very inappropriate. But the point we said of this passage is not how inappropriate the son is. The point is how inappropriate the father is. And the father ordered that that which they had been saving, you know, out of the flocks and herds, they had one calf. This is, this is the veal. This is like the, the most delicious thing they possibly could have prepared. You know, when you, when you have like the best, most tender cut of meat, it's, there's something better than like a filet mignon from an adult cow if you're a, a steak lover. There's, there's from a young uh, calf that they had fattened. So it's like the fattest, fattiest, most marbled, richest, tastiest, most flavorful piece of meat. And it's young and juicy and tender. This is the best he had. This was worth a lot of money. The son just blew a lot of the father's money. And now the, father's, the father has this idea, I know, we'll have a party to celebrate being together again and your restoration to full status as my son. And, and I'm going to give you everything I have left, the best of it. This is awesome. 
and they began to celebrate. The servants were running back and forth and, and quickly baking bread and eating it and and, and making, you know, fancy little desserts and treats and, and every delicious thing they possibly could. They were rushing to throw together the best party they possibly could, sparing no expense because of the father's extravagant, prodigious, prodigal love for this son. And they celebrated. Rembrandt um, painted a wonderful painting in it. I hope you can see it. If a picture is worth a thousand words, this painting captures much of the essence of this passage very well. The point of the picture to Rembrandt, who is a master of light and dark and the use of shading and light to draw emphasis to one thing, the most important, the brightest part of the picture is the father. The point of this passage of the prodigal son is really the prodigal father, the father's prodigious love. The father's face is towards his son. You can see the, the weariness, the compassion, the mercy. His face is relaxed. It's not tight and full of bitterness and anger. His full attention and love, his, his generous, calm, extravagant love is poured out on this son whose face we do not see. His son has buried his own face in shame, but the father has received him into his bosom. Look at his feet. Dishonor is on him from the top of his shaved head to the bottom of his worn out, blistered feet, half shooed. Look at the servants marveling. Look at the wonder on their face. They're awed at the father's love for the son. And they're in the background because the point isn't the servants. But there's a lot of light here on the older brother who has exalted himself, not just above the younger brother, but above the father. The father has stooped to receive this son. But the older son has exalted himself. The older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. Look at the expression on the sun in this painting. It's one of scorn. He was angry and refused to go in. Notice that the older son never made it into the party. He is outside the house. He's the only one left out. I thought he was the righteous one. Yeah, he thought that too. He thought he knew a lot better than his father because he thought he knew who deserved the father's pleasure and who didn't deserve the father's pleasure, and he got the gospel wrong. He answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Do you believe that? 
This son has held wickedness and bitterness in his heart from the time of his youth, and he does still. He thinks his father's command is, go work in the field from morning till night and come in, and that's what a son of mine does. This father is unwilling to receive the love of his own, the son is unwilling to receive the love of his own father because he's got this enormous mental block of his own idea of what righteousness is and his own self-righteousness. This is terrifying. He's going to be left out of the great celebration of all time, of the party of eternity. He's going to be left out there in the field muttering to himself. And he accuses his father. Is that a little screwy? How can you imagine yourself standing before God at the judgment and if you could, without your hand shriveling up in leprosy, raising your hand and pointing it at God and accusing him of loving wicked people who didn't deserve it as much as you. This son has missed the point. He was born into the family. He didn't earn his place in the family. Oh, but he thinks he did. He has no understanding of the gospel. He accuses the father of loving one who squandered the father's property on prostitutes and then who killed the fattened calf, who gave him the best of everything that was left, even after the father was publicly humiliated when the son left and again when the son came back. But in all this, the father is being glorified. And thousands of years later, we today read this and we praise the glory of his grace. The pinnacle, the tip-top of the praise of God is the praise of the glory of his, of the grace of God in his humiliation for sinners. There was another painting by uh, Thomas Hart Benson in about uh, 1940 or so that captures the heart of the older son in an image of what if. This is the younger son. He's come back to an estate that is completely broken down. The fattened calf grew up into a cow and is long since dead. The tree branches are fallen. The property is overrun with weeds. The shed has fallen down and the house is long since abandoned. Apparently the family has moved or something. This is a what if the prodigal son had waited longer to return. We've seen the heart of the father, and now we're looking at the heart of the younger son. The younger son didn't wait. If he had waited, perhaps this is what he would have found. Emptiness. We read in Hebrews that Esau desired to inherit the blessing, but he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The author of Hebrews says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness, of discontent, of accusation against God and against his church, 
springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. For you know that afterward, when, when Esau, who just happens to be the older of the two sons of Isaac, desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. In the Esau and Jacob passages in the Old Testament, Esau, the older brother, is the sexually immoral one. He's the one who married all these Canaanite wives when he found out that his, his, it was disgusting to his father that he would marry like a wicked idolater uh, from the Canaanite tribes who did things like sacrifice their babies to idols and extremely disturbing atrocities like this. When he found out that that was odious in his father's nostrils, he went out and married another one. He had multiple Canaanite wives. And he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So this is an artist's idea of what if the younger son had waited to say, save me, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. Perhaps he would have found no chance to repent. But that's not what happened. Instead, he saw his need and he was not too proud to say absolutely publicly, this is who I am. I'm a wicked child. Everybody knew what he had done. What's required in the gospel to come to God as the younger son and to be inside in the celebration and to be a child of God, you have to make it public that you are a sinner. If you are still holding on to, I'm a pretty good person and I can't be around, I can't go to church unless I look my best. I can't, I can't uh, do anything that could make me disrespected or feel out of my comfort zone, especially admit that I was wrong. If you can't publicly admit that you have squandered God's love for you and publicly say, God seems to me like he wasted everything he had on me. And look what he got at the end of it all. Just me. If this isn't your prayer life on a weekly and a monthly basis, you don't know the gospel and you are outside God's house and your finger is being lifted up at the Almighty and you're saying of God, I'm a pretty good person, damn it. And you yourself will find yourself damned at the end of the age. I am qualified to preach this morning's sermon, not because I'm a good preacher or a good Bible student or any such thing. I am none of those. I'm qualified to preach this message because I'm an expert in confession and at being a sinner, and I know it. I think probably my greatest character trait, if you had to say, John Gray is a, is a pretty good Christian in this area, it would probably be said of me, he's pretty good at being quick to confess sin, maybe even over-confess it. And to take those beginning steps towards repentance, and it's my Heavenly Father who's received me back every time. 
and I have known the receptive, extravagant, impossible love of God for somebody who would so repeatedly and so offensively go my own way as me. I'm a pretty happy person because I'm relaxed in God's presence because I know that I've passed from death to life. It says in 1 John, there's no fear in love. And again, perfect love casts out all fear. The reason I don't hide my sin is because I don't want to get left out. And I don't care if you all think I'm a sinner. And if you know me, you know I am. And I'm pretty hard-hearted most of the time. And I'm a repeat offender. The gospel is not for the righteous, it's for sinners. And if there's anything in which I could be an example, it's probably just this. But this is the only important thing, isn't it? So if you don't have a relationship with your discipler where you're regularly confessing sin, if you don't have a prayer life with your father where you're regularly saying, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to pray. I don't think I can. For a mature believer, that can still be a normal prayer, and it should be. If you don't have brother, qualified brothers or sisters in your local church to whom you regularly go and say, I'm, I'm not in a good place, then you're not in a good place. See, that's the only place to be. This is a fellowship of wicked, hard-boiled, dyed-in-the-wool, sinner sinners. And if you don't see yourself as the younger son, there's only one other option. You're the older son. Don't. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Does it not say all through the scriptures that he lifts the needy from the ashes? Have you ever been in the ash heap? Have you ever been in the ash heap of mourning, being clothed in sackcloth, with, <laughs> with sick with boils on your skin, and, and popping the blisters with a piece of broken glass, a shard of broken pottery, wallowing in your grief or your mourning, there is one who would lift you up. And there's only one who can lift you up. And when you come to him and to his people, he will send his hands and feet, the holy people of God, the company of the redeemed sinners, to wrap our arms around you. And there's no other place where you'll find salvation you cannot go it alone. The older brother tried. He went to church every day, every Sunday, didn't he? Do you think he ever missed going out to the field to work? Do you think he ever didn't dress nicely and wear his good robe or whatever? Do you think he ever had externally things that made him look bad publicly? I think he was on point. He towed the line. And he knew nothing of his father's love. He knew nothing of the gospel. He was not a Christian. He was not saved. 
and for eternity he'll be in outer darkness. So I said at the beginning that Jesus in this parable gives us only two options. God is the father and we are either the younger son or the older son. But there's a little bit more to it than that. Sometimes we're the older son, even as Christians. Sometimes we look on our fellow Christians, our fellow servants, and we say, uh, we say, you smell. You're a little dirty. I don't think I can sit with you and have lunch. I don't think I can have you over to my house, or I don't think I can accept your invitation to hang out. I'm busy. I don't, I don't want to be with you. But Jesus himself prayed in John 17, the impossible, that sinners like us would be made one. And this only works if by the mighty power of the eternal Holy Spirit, God so touches every one of us with grace that we ourselves are transformed and he creates in us such love for one another that it reminds people of his love for us. And when do people see God's love for us? When we're humiliated and when we come back to him and publicly declare, I'm a sinner. In confession and repentance, we find salvation. In quietness and confidence in who our Father is, we are strengthened. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him, it says in the scripture. The older son thought he was pretty devoted to his father, but he was pretty devoted to himself and to looking good. The younger son became fully devoted to his father. He had a few bumps in the road, and so do every one of us. And I would encourage you, if you have had a pretty big bump in the road, it's no problem. It's no problem. Here, in the company of saint, sinners turned saints, in the fellowship of the redeemed, we find repentance and rest day in and day out. This should be a normal occurrence in your prayer life. Thinking, I'm in a horrible place. Help me, God. And your prayer life doesn't need to get a whole lot deeper than that. That's, but if it hasn't gotten that deep, then who are you praying to? You're like the Pharisee who stood up and prayed to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like. Whereas the, the, the sinner didn't feel like he was worthy to raise his eyes to the Father. And he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He did it publicly. There's something about public confession and renunciation of sin that gives us new life and opens the door to the repentance that leads to life. Confession comes first. And if you aren't willing to do it, then you're out of luck. A month ago, we um, said it is essential that we think rightly about God. 
we said if we get these foundational truths about who our Heavenly Father is wrong, we will get everything wrong. The Father not only gives us gifts, but he completely receives even weak, immature children. So it's okay to get comfortable thinking of yourself as weak, immature Christians and weak, immature people, because in a sense, we always will be, no matter how far along we get in the wonderful process of sanctification. Not only do we have a home with God, but it's a welcoming home. We're not foster kids. We are real kids. We're not doing a sleepover here. This is home. This is our forever family. The father of the prodigal son ran to his son at the first sign of his son's returning. You see, the father's heart and his desire and his pleasure towards you is His attention is turned towards you in such a way that he's waiting for the first sign of your repentance. And then he will run to you and receive you back. You don't need great faith. You need just a little faith. And God will receive all of those who have gone far away, who who come to him. I have found this to be true. He is good. He wants the best for us at his own expense. He has a right to be called our Father since he created us and everything else. Since God is your Father, then you are members of the family. If you ever feel like you're on the outside looking in, like the younger son, Remember that you don't get to decide whether or not you belong because you feel like you're different or your sin is too great or you have too much shame, your track record is too bad. That's not up to you. This is God's house and he makes the rules. But you will have to make a choice day in and day out. As it says in Matthew 11, the violent take the kingdom of God by force. We have to violently put aside our reputation and force our way to repentance and you will find grace. And this is the gospel. We don't have the option though to come back to him as servants or employees or second class Christians. There's no such thing. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants And he says to us, as he said to the only Son of God, he says to every one of us his children, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Oh, Father, there is no God in heaven but you, and there is no Father like you. Every other God is a figment of somebody's imagination. And even if every other God and other religion were real, We would choose you because we are great sinners and we don't need a God who can be appeased if we work hard enough. We need a God who can save us when we have no desire to work hard and when we have disrespected you and dishonored you before the world and and when other people are saying bad things about you because of Christians. We need you. 
Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. We need you more than yesterday. Sometimes I feel like we just keep getting worse and worse. But your grace abounds where sin abounds. We can't imagine a better God than you. And so we publicly glorify you and welcome you as our Lord and as our Deliverer. All glory belongs to you, and we will have none of it. You will not give your glory to another. Amen.